This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park for the second time this week. Uh, on today's agenda, of course, we look ahead to the visit of Manchester United and the first return to Goodison of Romelu Lukaku. So we'll get into Chap's thoughts on Rom's return and maybe what his future may hold. Uh, we'll talk Andre Gomez's replacement, who should be in the frame to replace the suspended midfielder. In the week that the, the under-23s won the Premier League 2 title, we look at what's gone on in the intervening years uh, with John Joe Kenny, uh, almost become the forgotten man this season, at right back uh, with Seamus Coleman firmly back in position as first choice of what next for John Joe. We'll be getting the lads to give me their thoughts on that. And then finally, we'll be talking about Ajax and their Champions League success and whether that has changed anybody's viewpoint about Everton potentially dipping into the Dutch market, obviously, since we had our fingers burnt with David Klaas and I think people have been slightly wary, but we'll see if the form of Ajax has changed people's opinions. Um, Preno, um, what's the... What noise is going to emanate from the stands when Romelu Lukaku um, emerges onto the pitch? I'll be a polite, gentle ovation, you know, so in tribute, uh, you know, so goals scored for Everson Football Club. Indeed. No, of course not. He's going to get absolute dog's abuse. Um, and not so much for the nature in which he left, because, uh, you know, that was bad enough. You know, he made it perfectly clear. Uh, his ambitions outweighed Everton's. He wanted to move on elsewhere, somewhere that would fulfil, you know, his ambitions. That hurts enough. But the manner of the, the goal he scored at Old Trafford last season and the celebrations and, you know, the he was getting abuse from the Everton fans anyway and he, he was trying so hard uh, to score at the end and rub it down, you know, so Everton, well, ram it down Evertonian throats, which he did. That will still be uppermost in a lot of Everton fans' minds at Goodison Park on Sunday. So, yeah, he's not going to get um, a gentle ovation when he walks out there. He's, he's going to get stick and he, he'll expect, accept that, I'm sure. Do you think that reaction last season was... Because he f- he expected going into that game, he was going to get a better reception than he did, and actually maybe he actually felt a little bit hurt by it. Possibly, yeah, yeah, you got that impression, didn't you? That he uh, he was expecting something a little bit more respectful. But the the number of Everson players that have left the club in recent years, and a lot of them do get very generous, you know, sort of ovations and applause. You know, Everson fans can be quite respectful and quite appreciative of uh, of players efforts when they want to be and when the players you know leave in, in the correct fashion um, but clearly that wasn't the case with Lukaku you know so he made it quite clear from a long way into his Everton career that you know he wanted to move on elsewhere um, and yeah it's he's, he's going to get a very very dodgy reception and you should expect this. Sam, agree that that's, that's how it's going to go down for Rom <laughs> on Sunday you know our highest score in Premier League history? Yeah I think once once he'd done that celebration it was a uh, it was over for him, wasn't it? And obviously we didn't get the chance to, to give him a, a piece of our mind at Goodison. Was he injured last season for the, yeah. for the game? So now I think it's, it's going to be one of those ones where, you know, if anything, it's going to, it's going to boost the atmosphere because he, he will be getting sick. And, you know, we all remember that kind of famous night when Wayne Rooney came back for the first time and that was like one of the best atmospheres of all time when Ferguson scored the other in... 2005, but you know, as Prem says, maybe maybe that was the case at Old Trafford when he done that celebration. But for me, again, it just just kind of shows the mark of a man whose attitude just stinks. And it was quite often the case at Everton when 
he was on international duty and he'd be kind of talking about his future and you know I think he always kind of did think he was he was a little bit bigger than Everton didn't he and remember when he his move to United got announced and he was kind of putting videos on Instagram beside a pool with Paul Pogba in LA and he you know he's kind of show, I think he thinks he's a he's a lot better player than what he actually is and hopefully we 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 can keep a nice clean sheet and get the victory and send him on his way with a nice bit of stick. <laughs> of course, Adam. The, the 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 other point about this is actually we may not actually get to see him on the pitch I, at all because there's actually no guarantee he'll start, is there? Yeah, I was I was literally about to say this is all presuming that he's going to start. He didn't start in midweek against Barcelona, which you know you'd think that's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer picking at his what he thinks is his strongest eleven to go and try and get through what was a what was going to be a difficult match in the Champions League. Left Lukaku on the bench. Uh, he did come on late in that game, but didn't do anything of note. And uh, that's been that's been the summary of Romelu Lukaku really over the last few weeks and months. Really, you've seen Marcus Rashford has really hit another level since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has come in. Uh, we know how well Anthony Martial always seems to do against Everton, so you can presume that he's going to start. Jesse Lingard is uh, a player who seems to be preferred by Solskjaer as well, and you're seeing the likes of Lukaku who's just getting left on the bench because he just doesn't offer enough for Manchester United. And I think Everton fans weren't really all that bothered about him wanting to go to Manchester United. I think it was it all, it was always seemed to be an accepted fact that Romelu Lukaku wasn't going to stay at Everton for his whole career. He was going to move on somewhere else. But it was, as the lad said, it was the manner of how he went about it, you know, what he was doing in the days following the, uh, the move going through. And I think one thing that's, probably affected this which probably wasn't Lukaku's fault was that Everton really just didn't replace Lukaku at all and I think that has only amplified the ill feeling towards the move in general and you know as I say that's not necessarily Lukaku's fault but he's going to have to live with the consequences of it and you know I I, I think he'd probably come on as some sort of second half sub at the weekend but you can yeah you can expect a fair amount of booze when he does Um. Speaking about that, Prenton, and, and, and all the ill feeling put to one side, in trying to find a replacement for Romelu Lukaku, is it fair to say that you would happily have Romelu Lukaku back as his own replacement? I've said that so many times in this room. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a fan of his as a footballer. Uh, not not a fan of the way you know. So he conducted himself off the pitch on occasions at Goodison Park, but as a player, he was great for Everton. Uh, as you said before, our top Premier League goalscorer and the kind of player that we don't really have at the moment. You know, Calvert Lewin is em- aiming to emulate that kind of player, uh, but you know, physically he's nowhere near on the same level that Lukaku is. Uh, finishing wise, Lukaku's probably a better finisher. Um, you know they're both very very quick I mean Luka- uh, Calvert-Lewin probably has the edge in terms of pace but you know Lukaku has so many qualities that we currently don't have in that forward line and uh, I think he would be you know a good replacement but I suppose it indicates the levels that we're aiming to when he can't get in Manchester United's strongest starting 11 and you know I'd probably be more concerned if Rashford and Martial start than it would be if Lukaku started um, but they are the kind of levels that we should also be looking to, you know, achieve. I mean, United are currently only in the top six at the moment. Mm-hmm. They're not like a, you know, sort of a top three side. And so, you know, should we even be looking, you know, beyond that, you know, sort of players who have got, you know, arguably more potential than Lukaku? Uh, it's a difficult one. Uh, but at the precise moment in time, yeah, I think he'd be, uh, he'd be a good addition to Everson's squad. It'll never happen. Uh, even but, with, you know, even with the way he's playing for United, though, like he's a very different player now than the one who left Everton. In what, in what respect difference? You see, he seems 
slower. Mm. Slower, slower in thought. He's not improved his first touch in any in any way. I'd, I think I'd he's a worse he's, finisher. I'd argue he's marginally better than he was in his time at Everton. Really? I think, yeah, he's uh, he holds the ball up better. Certainly, his uh, his first touch isn't always a tackle, which it often was at Everton, <laughs> uh, or a second touch. Sorry, um, yeah, I just think his hold up play has improved. Um, finishing. You know, I wouldn't say it's any better, any worse than it was in his time at Everton. He still scores goals. Remember his opening to his United career? You know, he got off to a flyer. He scored in his first seven or eight games. Mm. Um, no, I just, he's a very, very good player who needs to be played in a certain system, a certain setup. Maybe United's setup doesn't, you know, lend itself to his, uh, his abilities, his qualities. He's not absolute top level European striker. You know, he's not the kind of player that, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juve are going to be looking for. But, you know, he's certainly in the next echelon down. And, you know, Everson certainly could do with a player of that quality. I mean, I just saw, like, a few weeks ago, uh, it must have been, like, the anniversary of us, you know, beating Bournemouth 6-3 yeah. when uh, Lukaku scored four goals in that game. And I was watching the highlights back of that game. And Lukaku is just massively different. He's quicker, he's more agile, he's energetic, moving about the pitch. And I've just not seen that for uh, in his time at Man United. So... Wait I'd, until Sunday when he's doing it all. <laughs> and he scored four in the first 20 minutes. I mean, that's that's been that's been what Marco Silva has brought to Everton, really. And that's how Dominic Calvert-Lewin is thriving in playing in that sort of role. So I just don't see how Lukaku yeah, fits I mean, into that. Cal- Calvert-Lewin is one for the future, but at this precise moment in time, would you rather have Lukaku or Calvert-Lewin in your forward line? I know who I'd rather have. Oh, well. No. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me there. Okay, um... Moving on to a different type of selection headache for Marco Silva. Andre Gomez accepting the charge by the FA and will face a three-game ban starting on Sunday. Um, Sam, who replaces Gomez? At the moment, I'd be willing to risk just shaving Gomez's head and just start them anyway. And see if anyone notices. Because... That'd be a novel approach. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure he'd let you shave yeah. your head. You can't get rid of his lovely locks of hair. No, I think Morgan Schneiderlin, Tom Davis, James McCarthy, I don't think... Any of those names particularly fill you with confidence against Manchester United in, in terms of you know what what you lose with Gomez and what they bring. Schneiderlin kind of had that little upturn in form, hadn't he? Before did he, did he pick up a small injury? Did he? Mm-hmm. Um, McCarthy doesn't seem to be in the plans whatsoever, and I'd assume we've probably seen him kick his last ball in an Everton shirt. So it's it's going to be I'm assuming it's going to be Tom, isn't it? And I think a big game for him to come back into and, and show what he can do. I think. It's another roller coaster season for Davis. Again, I'd say he probably hasn't quite hit those levels he did when he first broke through under Ronald Koeman. Um But, you know, Manchester United at the same time, you know, Scott McTominay and, and Fred aren't exactly the best midfielders in the league. So, you know, with three games now, you know, there should be no one on the pitch more motivated than, than Tom Davis on Sunday. You know, Marco Silva's got gave him the captain's armband at times this season and shown a lot of faith in him. I think if I was Silva, I'd be kind of looking to have that faith kind of repaid in these next three matches by by giving them this chance. Because if he doesn't, then he's another one. We, we, you've got to start kind of looking what's his future and what's his, what's his true identity at Evan. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting shout you mentioned in McCarthy there because I was up at the academy day on a Tuesday and he was on the pitch there playing with the uh, the kids and I'd forgotten all about him. You know, I'd forgotten he was yeah. even like so part of the Everton setup. And you think about 
what an influence he was when he was at his peak. Yeah. Um, you know, probably going back to the, the Goodison derby, the Sadio Mane scored the winner. And, you know, he, he basically ran the midfield that first half. And then him going off at half time was what I, th- I thought turned the game Liverpool's way. And we really haven't seen him since. Um, we're told so many times that Marco Silva places such store on players' performances on the on the um, training ground, which is why Ademola Luckman hasn't featured as often as maybe we would have liked. So you can only presume that McCarthy isn't really showing up in training sufficient to warrant, you know, sort of getting places even in the squad. So much as I'd like to see him, you know, at his peak, clearly he isn't at his peak, so we probably yeah. won't be seeing him. So yeah, I think it is a huge game for Tom Davis. Morgan Schneidlin is the the obvious choice, but that's a retrospective, you know, sort of step. Whereas Tom Davis is the one for the future, and if he proves he can do it against Manchester United, yeah, you know, so that's it's one to you know look forward for the future for. Do you yeah. think Silver will make a selection based on that criteria? Though? Probably not. No, he'll uh, he'll. Pick it on who's going to get the results on the day, and in that respect, probably Schneidlin. I, I think, think I think it'll be Schneidlin. Yeah, he, he, well, it, it's not as if he's played <coughs> badly recently, Schneidlin. He was brought in quite surprisingly for that Cardiff game. Uh, played really, really well. He was one of the. I think did I give him man of the match for that? I think I might have done. Uh, he was uh, performed brilliantly on that day. Uh, kept his place for the game against Liverpool. Probably when he got taken off, he was probably feeling the fatigue a little bit, but I thought he played quite well against Liverpool at home as well. And, you know, when you've got someone like Paul Pogba, who's coming to Goodison Park uh, this weekend, you know, I think Marco Silva's going to be wanting to shackle him as much as possible because uh, as United have shown over the last few weeks, if Paul Pogba's not performing, then usually they don't perform at their best level either. So if you can hardly, if you can shackle Paul Pogba, then I think you've got a good way to try and beat Man United. And I think the best way of doing that is probably by... Uh, having Schneiderlin sitting back and having Guy given a little bit more of a free role, but obviously he'll probably sit back as much as he can as well. So, yeah, I, I think that's the way they're going to go. I think that's why the, the Gomez kind of suspended. I know, I know we touched on it earlier in the week as well, but that's why it's so disappointing, isn't it? You know, by all accounts, he, he, he was poor against Fulham. And I think this game <coughs> again would have been a good chance to kind of show, you know, why Everton should spend 25, 30 mil, million on him in the in the summer going up against someone like Paul Pogba and, and it just kind of feels like the game that would have suited Gomez. You know, he's, he was really good against them at Old Trafford. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought one of his, probably his best performance was against Liverpool and, you know, he relishes these big games and someone who can just do, you know, him and Gay have kind of forged a, a nice little partnership most of the time together as well. So, yeah, I'd say it's a, it's a massive loss. Probably be, be became kind of like one of our biggest players in, in the last few weeks. So whoever does get that nod in there has got some nice big shoes to fill and some nice hair to fill as well. <laughs> just, just speaking generally about midfield options and looking into next season, you know, it's not been that straightforward for, for you three to pick a natural replacement for, for, for Gomez. So in terms of what the club are looking at in the summer, do you think strength in depth... And adding to that position is important. Um, 100%, yeah. And it also depends on Adjusta Garnagay's future because, you know, the, the mood music suggests that he may well be on his way also. You know, PSG, you know, likely to come back in again. And can't speak highly enough of his performances since that transfer fell down. His attitude, you know, contrast that to how Lukaku, you know, was behaving. It's been absolutely impeccable. Um, his performances have been excellent, his, his work rate has been excellent, and he'd be a tough guy to replace. Um, so I, I think we could be looking at you know, sort of two new bodies in that midfield area, you know, Gomez hopefully being one of them, and then you know, so somebody else to complement his style of play. 
Because, you know, at this precise moment in time, Tom Davis and Morgan Schneiderlin haven't really done enough to suggest that they're going to be at the heart of a midfield that could be or aiming to push for at least, you know, so top five, top six football next season. So, yeah, that's one of the areas I would expect some recruitments in in the summer. And given, you know, the quality that Emerson brought in last year, you know, I'm, I'm quite heartened by that as mm. well. You know, clearly Marcel does have, you know, targets out there. He does know the kind of player he wants to bring in. And yeah, I do think that area if not a priority, is certainly quite high up the list of uh, potential recruits this summer. I think it, you could make a case for, it could be a massive kind of revolving door in the central midfield area because, you know, Gay, Schneidlin and James McCarthy's futures aren't exactly yeah. nailed down. Andre Gomez is on loan, so there's four players. You, you know, so you, you think you could potentially need two, three midfielders in, in, in one summer and I think that's always... It's a tough ask, really, isn't it, to, to, to try and rebuild in, in such a kind of, like, in a big way in the summer. But, you know, I, I think Gay's form over the last few months, you know, and, and how professional he's been since that PSG move broke down, you know, which, which you can't really play that down. You know, PSG, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, probably would have got paid a fair whack as well for for going there. But his attitude's been unbelievable, really. I think he's shown how, how important he is to, to Everton, but... You no, know, the rest of the midfielders there were talking about. I wouldn't be overly bothered if we if we lost them yeah. or not. You know, you you wouldn't exactly be crying into your bedsheets if Morgan <laughs> Schneiderlin went back to to France. You know, so what an image. crying into your bedsheets. <laughs> that's that's where I do my crying. All right, okay. I, I don't like to let you know that I've been crying. <laughs> what, what, what about the, uh, the the youngsters who've been out on loan? Did any of them show anything this season to suggest that you know they could be recalled? Well, not really a midfield, but yeah. Joe no, Williams. Playing centre- Joe Williams. I was going to say Joe Williams, Kieran Dowell. Or- has been playing centre mid for CSK, you know, hasn't he? Has he really? It's half a mid. That, yeah. So it's it's more guilty position. Yeah, but <coughs> Joe Williams and Benny Beningamy, but not not into, I think Joe, Joe, both players obviously talented, but I'd mm. probably say it'd probably be more directed for another season out on yeah. loan for, for both of them, wouldn't it? And Although I think Marco, you, you said was quite impressed with Joe Jordan pre-season. He had been, yeah, and then he got the injury, didn't he? So I think Joe's got 12 months left on his deal. So it's obviously an important point for him in his career, isn't it? Whether he decides to try and stick it out or, yeah. or actually says, right, draw a line in the sand and, and go away permanently. So we'll, we'll we'll find out about that one. But yeah, Joe would be the the standout candidate of the young the young midfielders. Because even Markello and Adenarin, obviously part of the 23s title winning team, they're not ready, are they, for, for no. first team level? So... Yeah, they're still a little way off, but um, interesting. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Speaking of Tom Davis and, and his good friend, John Joe Kenny, um, has he progressed as you thought he would, Adam, from being the captain that lifted the Premier League 2 trophy, what, nearly three years ago now, uh, so two years ago, three seasons ago, um, 24 Premier League starts in two two seasons. Um, is he where he thinks he should be, do you think? Um, is he where you think he should be? Um, it's, it's really hard to judge because I think if he was looking at it himself, he'd be thinking, yeah, I should be, I should have progressed further than he, than he has done. But, you can't really discount the problems that the whole squad had last season and how much that backfired onto Kenny as well because his first real run in the team was 
part of that makeshift defence where we had Cucco Martina left back. Yeah, he played in the derby, played very well. Yeah, the centre-back partnership of Holgate and Williams and then Kenny, obviously, at right-back filling in for Seamus Coleman when he was injured. You know, then it was a, it was a struggle for him to win that position as well, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, he was battling with Holgate for a little bit and then the defensive crisis just opened the door for him. And I think... You know, off throughout that time, I think he played really well, considering it was his first run uh, in the Premier League. You know, he was—I think he was solid for most for the most part. You know, we will discount that game away to Spurs because that was a that was a bad game for the, the side as a whole. But then since Coleman came back in, it's just been another bit of a struggle for him. And this season again, you know, he's just found it hard to nail down that place. Even you know when Coleman was having that bad run of form and. You know, Silva looked like he was, you know, maybe swaying towards yeah. Kenny a little bit. You know, I think Kenny came in and he did well, but it was, I think it was that Cardiff game. Coleman came straight back in, hasn't it? And, you know. He hasn't looked back really, has he? Well, yeah, since, since Coleman's been paired with Richarlison down that right-hand side, I think Coleman's had a bit more of a, a buffer. Like I've spoke a few times on this podcast that I don't think Theo Walcott does enough defensively. And I think that's only been proven now that Richarlison's been... Uh, paired with Coleman, I think Coleman's looked so much stronger. He's looked uh, much more willing to get forward and get down that line. And John Joe Kenny will probably be looking at that situation and going, well, if I was playing in Seamus Coleman's positions, I'd be playing as well as him. I'd be getting up and down as well as him with Richarlison ahead of me. But it, it, it is a tough one for him. And I do hope that he does get more chances in the future because I still think there's a player there. I think he's, I think he's got better quality in the final third than Coleman has and yeah I think I think there is room for him to progress definitely I think the, the difficulty isn't it and I think you know you've, you kind of put the, the thing of John Joe being you know he's a good lad and he, he coming through the academy and a scouter as well is that the, the difficult thing that, that he has to accept as well is that he hasn't been able to displace a kind of what a, a mediocre Seamus Coleman or a Seamus Coleman who's not the same player that he used to be, and and it's never really been because he's done anything wrong. He's not had a shocking game, certainly not this. You know, the only bad game I can even remember him having is is that Spurs game. He's always you know your dependable six seven out of ten. But I think again you've got to keep looking now to think about the aspirations Everton have got, the aspirations Marco Silva and Marcel Brands have got, and you know I, I'd say probably. In the David Moyes era, kind of thing, John Joe Kenny probably would have been able to play for Everton every week because he, he was that kind of solid player. But you know, certainly now moving moving forward, when we do eventually have to replace Seamus Coleman, Everton are probably going to go out and spend a reasonable amount of money or, or invest in someone they've got you know faith in that can, can be the complete fullback and someone who's more than just you know the words you associate with John Joe, like solid and and dependable, someone who's probably doing a, a little bit more than that at the moment, and you know. Barring a, a kind of a, an upturn informed John Joe probably has to think about you know whether he's happy kind of fighting for a role fighting for the the odd appearance in, in the cup because you know he is he, he's easily good enough to have a, a solid Premier League career yeah I think in modern football the, the role of the fullback is so absolutely vital now um, like you mentioned then you could get away you know maybe even 10 years ago you know with a, a holding you know sort of resolute fullback that doesn't you know 
Well, I know Tony Hibbert used to cross the halfway line, but you know he's not renowned for the, the quality of his, you know, his crosses or his goal assists. Nowadays, the, the top sides, the absolute leading sides, you know, the fullback role is absolutely crucial. It, it's probably the primary outlet now, you know, as Lucas Dean's proving on the other flank. You know, so I think he's got more is it goal scoring, you know, sort of chances created than any other fullback in, in Europe. And Everson seems to have had almost like a conveyor belt of fullbacks that promised, you know, to, to fill that role. And I haven't quite done it. Thinking of like, you know, Brendan Galloway, Luke Garbus, um, Matthias Browning, just like a number of players that have come in briefly and you thought, mm, yeah, they might have something there and they're not quite kicked on because it is such a demanding role. And, you know, you look at how good Coleman and Baines were for such a long period of time and how good Lucas Dean has been since he's taken over from Leighton Baines. And, you know, you need somebody who's going to show the same kind of qualities on the opposite flank. And John Joe Kenny does have lots of very good qualities, but maybe not absolute, you know, sort of top level yet. And whether he's going to develop uh, to a degree where he can become that kind of player, I'm not so sure. And, um, 28 Premier League appearances, enough of a sample size to, to properly judge a 22-year-old player? It probably is, I would say, yeah. And I'm just, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, goals that Everton have conceded that maybe he could have done a little bit better with Leicester away this season. I don't know. There's, you know, there have been moments where, you know, you think, you know, he could have done marginally better. Is he better at 22 than Coleman was at 22? That's a, that's a fair point. Um, although I remember Seamus was at his home debut against Tottenham when yeah. he was like a man possessed that day. Mm-hmm. And he was a late developer because, you know, he came into the game late, obviously, from Irish football. So maybe it's not really fair to compare like with like there uh, and Seamus developed at a frightening pace mm. you know so after that and you don't quite see the same you know acceleration in John Joe Kenny's development um, I think Marco Silva probably has you know so seen enough now and I think at the moment I think he probably will be second choice you know so at the moment you know if Seamus you know does need replacing anytime soon I think the likelihood is he'll be replaced by the transfer market rather than internally so what do you do if you're John Joe then? And obviously the situation probably won't improve in the final four games of the season. It's likely at this stage, isn't it, that he'll remain possibly out of the matchday squad for the final four games. What do you do if you join Joe in the summer? Do you go, no, I can, I'm going to stick it out here. I think that, you know, privately probably thinking Seamus is on, the, on you know, the final stages of his career. I think I can usurp him. Yes, I've heard talk that the club might be looking for a fullback. Or does, does, does John Joe go... With a heavy heart, I'm going to have to leave my club and, and for the best of my career. I think maybe the, the, there's another season, isn't there, to, to kind of see how, how the situation kind of does play out and, and, and what Everton do, certainly in the transfer market this season. And then, you know, you probably get your kind of feeling then throughout pre-season and towards the start of the season to, to try and work your way into, into Marco's plans. And as Dave's pointed out, you know, he does seemingly put a lot of scope onto your performances, you know, at Finch Farm. So maybe... I don't think leaving would, would probably have crossed his mind, you know, at this time. You know, he still had a, a few chances this season, but certainly then in, into next season and, and January in the summer, you know, if, you, if you're still kind of playing second fiddle and Everton are kind of, you know, still being linked with your Wambasakas and, and, and players from across Europe to, to fill that slot, then, you know, he, he would have to think about moving on. It's the same for most lads at the moment who aren't, you know, you've got you know, Tom Davis not playing regularly, James McCarthy not making matchday squads more. You know, I think, as Dave said, some people have featured that little this season that you forget to even still play for Everton. So, you know, and and the club as well then have to make that decision of, of whether to to cash in on these players when when we can. Interesting. So we shall see what happens with John Joe. Um, 
going into the summer. Uh, final part of today's podcast, um, I'm going to ask the panel whether they think the success of Ajax in the Champions League this season, of course, uh, sensationally made the semi-finals this week, has changed our viewpoint as supporters and whether it'll have changed the club's viewpoint about signing players from Holland and Dutch players in particular, given how we had difficulties with uh, Davy Klassen. Adam, what's your, your feelings on that? Do you think the success of Ajax changes anything? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the success of Ajax. I think the Dutch market is still one that should be it should be explored anyway. I don't think Everton should necessarily be put off by just uh, the failings of one player in what was... He was one of the best players in the Eredivisie though, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he was. But... You know, for for whatever reason, it was just it was just never going to work, was it? Like he just wasn't he wasn't physically capable enough to be able to deal with the step up to the Premier League, and that became quite evident very quickly uh, when he did make the move. So you've got to, you've, I think you've got to put that down to it, like a problem in scouting. He's not been scouted properly. Somebody has made the mistake of thinking he can step up to the physicality of the Premier League, and he just he just never could. I think. If you are looking into the Dutch market, there is there are countless number of players there who can step up to the Premier League. You know, we've seen so many players move from Holland and come to the Premier League, and they've been absolutely incredible. You know, I think Luis Suarez is probably one of the more recent examples, and you know, you see, see Andy van der Meijer. There's uh, always the exception that proves the rule. So this is more a question than about taking Dutch players from the Dutch league as opposed to Suarez there's an example of the Uruguayan playing in, in Holland. Nah, I mean, Van Dijk's not doing too badly, is he, across the park? Um, no, I think it's just down to the individual. Totally endorse what Adam says there. You know, you shouldn't be put off by one bad experience. Uh, there are still great players. You know, I'll take Delita all day long, you know, so what, 19, is he? You know, what, what a player he looks. Um, no, they've just got to be scouted, you know, so properly and you know, to the extent where you think that they can handle the intensity of the Premier League, because that is so, so different to any other league in Europe. And I'm thinking of uh, the, the scouting work that went into Bernard's, you know, and actually you know, buying him, because you'd automatically think, well, here's a guy who's about five foot, whatever he is, you know, very, very small of stature. Um, he's been playing in Ukrainian football, you know, which isn't renowned as despite the Nets, you know, sort of successes as being one of the, the European powerhouses. Yeah, whoever scouted him worked out that he would be able to handle the intensity of the Premier League. And he's proved that, you know, so many times over this season. He obviously has quality on the ball, but has more, more importantly, the ability to dig in, track back, do the defensive work, you know, so do all the dirty stuff. And um, somebody worked out that that can be done. So exactly the same with Dutch football. You need to, you know, sort of target players that you think can make that step up. And plenty can and plenty have done, you know, so in the recent past in the Premier League. So no, just, you know, one bad experience shouldn't put anybody off. Ajax look like a you know, really, really good side at the moment. And, you know, so yeah, any players that you could, uh, you know, attract from them, I think you'd be delighted to see a Goodison. To be fair to Steve Walsh and his scouting team, you've... Just got to applaud that they managed to go to that Europa League final between Ajax and Manchester United and come back with Klassen <coughs> when Davinson Sanchez and De Ligt were on, on the same pitch, really, haven't you? So, obviously, that... that I, think, I think Klassen was already lined up, wasn't he? I think that was a... It was a done deal. I think it was a pretty much a done deal by that point, yeah. Well, the alarm bells did ring, didn't they, a little bit? Yeah. They did, I remember some people. I, 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 I never even heard them. I didn't even see him touch the ball in that, in that final. 
I think that was that was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> I, the thing I always meant that sticks in my head about Clashman was that Spurs game where that was kind of meant to be the game where you know we got back on winning ways. And I remember Musa Sissoko just bulldozed them onto the floor and Clashman for a few seconds just lay there with his face in the turf. And I, I remember looking at him at that point two, three games into the season. I was just like, it's done. <laughs> it's finished. He's never going to be a, a Premier League player. But, you know, I think they've shown in the Champions League now that you know, there, there is some some talent out there. And I think we'd all bend over backwards in here, wouldn't we, to, to have some of their some of their players in our, in our first team next season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm team Marcel. Got faith. I think Got what's faith. interesting about the Dutch market as well is that they... They don't seem adverse to selling their biggest players at all. Like they, they see it as a, as a privilege almost that they can sell players to the likes of you know Premier League sides or you know the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, etc. So there, there are, there are players there to be had. Like we, you won't. The only obstacle that you'd have in go, going to sign some of these players is the competition from elsewhere. And you're hoping with the pull of Marcel Brands, you'd be able to get a few really talented players to come over here. I guess the counter, the other counter, of course, Preno, is that in terms of uh, the standard, we've sent one of our players in January to Holland, to Feyenoord, one of the better clubs in Holland, Cuco Martina. <laughs> so they're bringing in a player of that level. So that, my point is, if he if he's deemed as... Elite level. ...good enough to be playing in Eredivisie, does that not give you any concerns about the club potentially... Buying players from that level. <laughs> Difficult, yeah. I mean, the league as it is, isn't one of the strongest in Europe. You know, you're just trying to think of, you know, Dirk Kout when he joined Liverpool. I think he scored was like 40-odd goals, mm. you know, so in Eredivisie. And, you know, he was a solid enough player for Liverpool, but, you know, never looked like being anywhere near as prolific as that. Uh, but Ajax's, you know, performances in the Champions League, you know, so indicates, you know, the quality of the teams that can exist there. And, you know, it's not as if they're like, you know, sort of 20 points clear at the top of the division either. You know, it's um, it, maybe it's a little bit more competitive than we think. Uh, it just doesn't quite have the depth. But no, I mean, their performances in Europe indicate, you know, sort of how good, you know, sort of some of the players and some of the teams can be there. And it's definitely a market worth, you know, sort of looking at, you know, all the time. I think uh, you, can, you can make that point for any league as well. Like Burnley signed Peter Crouch. PSG signed Eric Chupo Moting. There's weird kind of transfers that happen all across, but certainly, you know, Marcel will probably have a, a bigger uh, grasp of the players in, in the teams that aren't, you know, your traditionally big Dutch Dutch kind of clubs that, that we do, but certainly your Ajaxes, your, your Feyenoord, your PSG were fighting out at the top. You know, these got young lads coming through and, you know, regardless of the standard of the league, they're the genuinely good footballers just waiting to be given their opportunity in a in a big club like Everton and if we can get the right players for the right prices which you know I think Everton are quite keen to do it I don't think we'll be slapping the money around on people like Yannick Balassi ever again certainly not while Farhad Mashidi's in charge then we're all for it but I think there's just got to, got to be a certain element of trust this summer hasn't there I remember when Richarlison first signed and some people were kind of wary of, of spending so much money and, and what a signing he's turned out to be and I think if he stays at Everton, he's going to develop into one of the best players in Europe. And if he leaves Everton for, for whatever reason, we'd still double our money. So, you know, I think Silver and Brand have got a lot of credit in, in the bank this summer from the players they, they signed in the in the first season here. And I'm kind of looking forward, you know, there hasn't really been any strong links kind of coming out <clears throat> quite late on the season. So kind of looking forward to seeing who, who we do end up with and, and what markets, you know, the Dutch and, and the South American, the 
Marcel kind of takes us into. Yeah, that that Davy Klassen deal was that that was a, a Ronald Koeman blind spot. You know, from the you know reports that we hear from the training ground, it was very much a player that he wanted and a player that he believed could you know adapt to the English Premier League you know very quickly. And you know to the extent whereby he was even telling you know so people at the football club that he will show. Uh, Everton fans the kind of player that Ross Barkley could have been <laughs> clearly that didn't quite work out the way he anticipated so yeah let, let's not put it all at the, uh, the the feet of Steve Walsh on that particular one but yeah it was it was a blind spot that Ronald Koeman had and it didn't work but that doesn't mean that we should be you know so immediately pulling the drawbridge up on further Dutch transfers Interesting stuff chaps and before we finish uh, I will get your predictions for Sunday's game at Goodison Adam 2-1 Evan Clarification there yes. yeah, 2-1 yeah, yeah, with 2 yeah, yeah. 3-0 Lukaku Latter. <laughs> Hatrick of own goals. Two. I mean, crying into his bed sheets. Yeah. <laughs> 2-1. 2-1 the Blues. Richarlison at the double. Right. Copycat. Right. Whatever. Right, I'm going to be quite specific here. Uh, Paul Pogba's going to take a penalty. Jordan Pickford's going to save us. And uh, Everton are going to win 2-0. Well, Atmosphere's going to be absolutely electric, as it often is for Manchester United's visit. Just weird at the moment, Everson. You know, when they've got the bit between the teeth, as they had against Arsenal and the second half against Chelsea, they look like a team. When a little bit of complacency creeps in, you know, and they go through the motions like they did at Fulham, you know, they look like a side you just want to draw the curtains on. So, yeah, I think we're going to see the uh, the form. I think we're going to see a really committed, purposeful performance and the Blues will win 2 0. Guru Prentice? Yeah. I what, agree. Am I going to get a pie or a sausage roll at half time? Both. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but I think without Gomez, it won't quite be as comfortable as 2 0. I'm saying 1 0. Um, but a victory nonetheless. Any pen- any penalty predictions? <laughs> I haven't had the premonition. Like, <laughs> okay, thank you very much, chaps. Thanks for your company and thank you to listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes and the Acast app, so please do so. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.